Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. If you have your Bibles, be opening to Matthew chapter 16 as we continue our series of lessons looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ, the most influential life that has ever walked the face of the earth. And we have arrived at what is a pivotal chapter in the entire Gospels. Matthew 16 opens with Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees in a region of Galilee called Magadan. And the very first thing that they ask for Jesus is to have him give them a sign. Now, if you have been following along the last 30 plus weeks that we've been looking at the life of Christ, you know that this is a somewhat ridiculous request, isn't it? Because Jesus has been doing incredible signs since the very beginning of his ministry, since John chapter 2 where he changes the water to wine in Cana of Galilee. So, that leads me to believe that these religious leaders are up to something here. They're really not interested in a sign. It leads me to believe they're up to something. And Matthew's already told us back in chapter 12 that they were trying to catch Jesus. Trying to catch Jesus in something that they could accuse him of. And so I think that's what this is. This is a trick. This is a test. They were hoping to bring a charge against Jesus that he was a false prophet using signs and wonders to lead Israel astray. But Jesus, appears. it appears, knows that they're not really interested in seeking truth. And so he will not give them what they ask for. But he does say something I think is critically important in these first four verses. Let's read them together. Chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 1. It says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And so he left them. And departed. I want you to notice uh, Matthew 16, verse 4 specifically. And if you underline or circle in your Bible, I want you to underline, highlight, circle that word Jonah. The sign of Jonah. Now, you and I know that Jonah was a rebellious prophet of the Old Testament who was told to go preach to the Ninevites but completely rejected God's command and went in the opposite direction, right? And God had to send a great storm and have Jonah tossed overboard a boat where he was swallowed by a fish and spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And we know that Jesus will be killed and spend three days and three nights in the earth earth before rising again. But I just want to suggest to you this morning that there may be something else going on with the sign of Jonah as well. So I want you to underline it. I want you to circle it and we'll come back to it here in just a minute. Let's read though a little bit further beginning with verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, 
They had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they didn't get it. They began uh, discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves and the, for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I've, heard, I've said this before to you, but I really believe it's worth repeating this morning. And, 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 and I just, for some reason, God, God just laid this on my heart, this, this idea that we're going to be chasing for the next several minutes. And so, uh, j- just stay with me. But here's, here's the thing I want to tell you that I think worth, is worth repeating. Jesus doesn't give up on us when we fail to understand what he's up to. I think that's such an incredibly important thing to remember at this moment in our history, where we are today, Jesus does not give up on us when we fail to understand what he's up to. This is so important. You know, I have, I have people come to me on a regular basis and say, Steve, I just, I just have, a really t- have a really hard time understanding the word of God, the understanding the Bible, And I just want you to hear me say this. You are not alone. These disciples had Jesus, the walking and talking word of God, and yet failed to understand what Jesus was doing and failed to understand who he really was. And Jesus, not one time, didn't throw up his hands and say, that's it. I'm moving on. I'm done with you guys. Find me somebody else who's going to grasp. Give me somebody else who's going to understand the things that I'm saying because y'all are clueless. He, he doesn't do that, not once. And here's why that's important. Because when you fail to understand the Bible perfectly, when you fail to understand the very words of God, when you get, when you get something backwards, when you don't get something perfectly right, I just want you to know today that God is not running away from you. God is running to you. He is patient with you, and he is working with you, not against you. Here's the thing. Uh, this is important, too. I've had some people say, well, I just don't understand as an excuse to not study anymore, to not engage the Word of God, to not even try. And I just want to say, that can't be us either. What we have to do is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and the door will open. The truth will come. But remember, even when you get it wrong, He's not leaving you. He's not running from you. Now, what does that mean for us? That also means that when people around us don't perfectly understand, we don't run away from them either. We've got to be patient with the people around us too. We don't give up and avoid people who may not understand things exactly the way we do. No, we love them into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And we certainly don't shame them for not getting it. We love them into a greater understanding of who Jesus is. We love them and help them understand who he is and who he has revealed, how he has revealed himself to us in his word. Because here's the truth. It could be us who has it wrong. Are we so proud to think that we've got perfect understanding of every possible outcome of Scripture? It could be us who has it wrong. Let me ask you, you ever changed your mind about a section of Scripture? 
I won't even ask for a show of hands. Because if you haven't, something's probably off in your walk with Christ. If you've never once changed your mind about a section of Scripture, you're probably not studying the thing. I'm just going to be bold in that. Have you ever understood something about the Bible more fully that transformed the way you thought about something? Of course you have. I have too. Here's the thing. Your 15-year-old self, some of you, that's a long way to remember back, but I want you to think back. Your 15-year-old self looked at your 12-year-old self and thought, wow, that little 12-year-old, he was clueless. He didn't, have, he, didn't, he didn't know what was going on. But guess what? Your 25-year-old self looks back at your 15-year-old self and says, whoa, whoa. And your 46-year-old self looks back at your 25-year-old self and says, whoo, we've come a long way. And if the Lord allows me to live to be 65 or 85 or 105, I'll look back at 46-year-old Steve and think, clueless, this guy was an absolute fool. He, he, he didn't get it. He didn't, uh, he didn't, he completely missed so much. Can we all just admit it this morning? We're all fools. <laughs> In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you may not believe this, but I'm a fool. Real quick, do that right there. You may not believe this, but that's the reality. We're all fools. Now, this is why. This is why it's not about perfect knowledge. In fact, this is why Jesus says it's all about love. Jesus says that all of the law and all of the prophets, all of Scripture is summed up in one thing, love. Loving God and loving others. Now, does that mean that doctrine is not important? Of course not. It does matter. But God is not done with us when we don't understand. God is not finished with us when we are foolish. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't remove his love from us when we are wrong, when we don't understand, or when we get something backwards? Praise the Lord. He's not done with us. Verse 13. <clears throat> I want to look at this and spend some time here. Because this is the turning point in the Gospels. Trey started down this road last week and I want to return to it this morning. This is the moment in the Gospels that the readers are waiting for. This is the pivotal moment in the entire Gospels. And so let's just look at it. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus' question to his disciples is gigantic. It is absolutely huge. Who do men say that I am? What we believe about Jesus is the question of all questions. This is the question that we have to answer correctly. This is the question. This is something of which we have to be absolutely certain. Now, you can get it wrong, and he's not going to run from you, but you can never be right with God and get the answer to the identity of, of, of Jesus Christ wrong. 
What we believe about Jesus is the question of all questions. We cannot get this wrong and have any chance at being right with God. And Peter gets the answer right. Uh, Now, as we will see in just a second, he's going to completely miss what the identity of Jesus actually means. But God has revealed to him and these disciples who Jesus is, and he believes with all of his heart. He believes that Jesus is not just a good guy. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. Peter knows he is the Messiah. He is the king of all kings. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to see some pictures of this area where Jesus was when Peter makes this great confession. I think this is really, really interesting. You see that big cave up there on the left side, or I guess it might be your right side of the screen? The common thought of the day was that evil spirits from hell actually ascended and descended right there in that cave. In that very spot, they they thought uh, evil spirits came up and down right there. And it was called something by the people of the day. It was called, wait for it, it was called the gates of hell. Isn't that interesting? Here's Jesus, maybe standing near, pointing to the gates of hell, and saying that his church would not be conquered by that. In fact, his church could not be stopped. The gates of hell couldn't stop his church. Isn't that amazing? That very spot you can go visit today. Jesus says that his church will be unstoppable. Think about that. Unstoppable. Now let me ask you. Is that your experience with a church? Unstoppable. Is that the word you would use to describe it? I don't know if things have been much darker in our culture than they are currently spiritually. I'm sure there was time in in recent history or distant history where it was, but it seems pretty dark We have shared from this pulpit statistics of churches closing their doors every week. Another one closed its doors. and I mean, it's just nonstop, the disappointing statistics. Our culture is awash with depictions of violence. People are flaunting their immoral lifestyles. They wink at things the Bible says are clearly wrong. Lying has become so commonplace that we accept it now, even among our leaders. Unstoppable? As believers living in an ungodly world, it can be tempting for us to simply say, forget it. There's, there's nothing we can do. We're never going to impact this world. And sometimes we wonder, are we ever going to make a difference? Is this, does this thing even matter? We wonder sometimes if we together collectively can even penetrate this culture with the good news that God gave us to proclaim. And we could just throw up our hands and say, well, we might as well just uh, retreat into our Christian subculture and hope that the problems around us will eventually go away. Let's wait them out, uh, or, or at least wait till the Lord returns to get us out of here. But we need to remember that Jesus Christ gave us a mandate, which is to affect this world as both salt and light. We are to be his representatives in this world, not retreating, not fleeing from his world. And the answer to the church's unstoppableness comes from the source of our power. 
If we rely on our own strength, if we rely on our own methods, then we cannot make much of a difference, and the church is very, very, very stoppable. If we rely on our own abilities, our own resources, we surely will fail. Here's the truth. We need a power beyond ourselves. We need a power beyond ourselves. We need a power behind us that launches us into our culture. We can make a difference in this world. The only difference, the only real difference can happen though when the church that the Spirit of God empowers obeys the Word of God and goes into this world and does what He calls us to do. There is no way we can impact our culture in our own strength long term. We can't do it through programs. We can't do it through gimmicks. We can't do it through our own devices. But if we choose to be driven by God's limitless power, then nothing, nothing can stop us. Now, let me share with you something else here before we move on. I I asked you to circle that name Jonah back in verse 4. I want you to notice something with me. I've never seen this before until I started preparing for this lesson. It's just something I passed over. Did you see in verse 17 of Matthew 16 that Jesus calls Peter something? And in fact, this is the only time in all of the pages of Scripture that Jesus uses this name, uses this to talk to Peter. He says, Simon bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Now, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. Jesus tells the Pharisees they'll get no sign except that of the prophet Jonah. And here, he calls Peter the son of Jonah. Could it be? Could it be that this confession is even bigger than we thought it was before? Could it be that this confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, was the sign of Jonah that Jesus was referring to? At very least, what we have here is a double meaning in what Jesus says back in John, or excuse me, in Matthew 16, verse 4. Isn't that cool? Only time ever that Simon is called Simon Bar Jonah. And it just happens to connect with what we're reading about here in verse 4. I find it fascinating. The word of God just keeps bringing new truths to us if we'll open our eyes. But Jesus says something else, even, I think even, maybe not more important, but equally important in verse 19. He says, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Now, there's some debate whether Jesus is talking specifically to Peter or if he's talking to all of his disciples. I think he's talking to all of his disciples, but if it is just Peter, think about this. Whose sermon do we have recorded for us in Acts chapter 2 when the kingdom opens to Israel? Peter's. In Acts chapter 10, when the rest of the world, the Gentiles, get to hear the good news, whose sermon is recorded for us? Who's preaching that day? Who's Who's the one that's there? It's Peter. But again, I don't think he's saying, I'm giving you the keys just to Peter. He's saying to all of these guys, I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So whatever you loose is loose. Whatever you bind is bound. This is the point that I need you to hear in this. When you encounter the writings of the apostles, you are encountering Jesus himself. When you read this Bible, when you read this thing, you you are looking at the very keys of heaven itself. Whatever the apostles loose is loose. Whatever they bind is bound. And this is one of the reasons why this church is committed to every single word of the sacred scriptures. Because the 
Apostles were given the keys to the kingdom, and we follow their writings. Now, I really want you to get this. Put it all together. God gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to absolute failures. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He gave the keys to guys that were clueless while they walked with him. My point, God changed the world with failures. And here's why that's important. Because deep down, we are all aware of our own humanity. And in our honest moments, we know we don't measure up. No matter where we've come from, no matter how many accolades we have received in our lives, my guess is that most of us still see ourselves as underdogs or even failures. I know I do. You want to know why? Because I know me. I know things about me that you don't know about me. And when I'm face to face with my true self, I know I don't measure up. I know I don't come close. So perhaps when you look in the mirror, you see a bunch of excuses as to why you couldn't or why you shouldn't be the one who accomplishes something great in the name of Jesus Christ. But someone else, maybe you're thinking, is, is more qualified than you or more deserving than you. When we look at ourselves and think, no way God could use me, God says, think again. God used failures and he uses failures and it's time for all of us to rise up face our excuses head on and then get moving in the direction that God would have us go the days of allowing our excuses to hold us back are over they have to be the world doesn't need perfection it needs people who understand that they are failures know the excuses that hold them back and then go choose to make a difference anyway that's what our world needs right now more than anything else. Every person God, think about this. Every person God chose to use in a great way in the Bible was a failure. Every person God used had a justifiable excuse for why he or she couldn't be used by God to accomplish great things. Everyone, no exceptions, not one. Every great hero of faith in a scripture was a failure just like you and me. They had every opportunity to let those failures hold them back, but they refused to do so. They didn't do that. And God wants to use you today just like he used the men and women that we read about in this scriptures. And the question is, do you really believe that? Do you believe that he wants to use you? Do you believe that he could use you? Do you believe he could change your environment, your world, right now, right where you are because of you? If you don't, you need to meet this guy named Jesus because he didn't die on a cross for us to be the same. He didn't die for us to, to go about the ho-hum of life and, and to be the same that we were yesterday. He died so that we could make a difference right where we are by pointing people to him. Open your eyes. God gave the keys of the very kingdom of heaven to failures. And God can use you if you'll let him. You don't need an assignment. You don't need the perfect setting. Here's what you do need to do. You need to listen to the voice of God and you need to do what he says. That's it. 
Listen to the voice of God and do what he says. Open your eyes. See people. I mean, really, really, really see people. Then go find a way to serve them. Go find a way to help them. Get outside of yourself. Invest in others. Listen for God's voice and do what he says. God gave the key of the kingdom, keys of the kingdom to failures. And if you don't, if you don't think that's true, let's read just a little bit further because here's another failure that happens here for Peter. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show them how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and, up on, the thir- and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter knew who Jesus was, but he completely failed in understanding what that meant. And when Jesus' plan for his life didn't match up with Peter's idea for Jesus' life, he decided to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. Peter thought Jesus was going to be this great physical king who would wipe out the Romans and establish God's reign on earth. And Jesus says, no, this is not how that works. We're going to win by losing. We're going to be great by serving in the kingdom of heaven, everything is upside down, Jesus says. Or, or, or maybe in the kingdom of heaven, everything's finally turned right side up, however you want to look at that. And this is where Jesus goes next. I want to I read this next part from Luke's gospel. So let's go over, because this is the same story, just from Luke's perspective. And I want you to notice Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through verse 27. Jesus says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For, what, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, don't build your identity on gaining things that this world has to offer. His exact words are, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? So Jesus says, don't chase after the things of the world. Instead, he says, I want you to pursue the upside-down kingdom. I want you to pursue that. You see, one of the most common decisions that we make every single day is whether or not we're going to commit to something. Are we going to commit or not? There are a lot of things that require our focused attention and dedication throughout this world that we live in. From our work responsibilities, family gatherings, school, special occasions, uh, for us as adults, maybe taking care of our kids, our pets, or something else, right? But regardless of what the commitment is, there is always something that we take away after we fulfill those commitments in our life, is there not? We grow through commitments. Think about it this way. When you make a commitment to something, 
It leads you to a new place of growth and maturity. Maybe you made a commitment to complete your education, but it was a struggle, but you did it, right? You, you, you did it. You followed through with your commitment, and what happened? You got to a new place. You grew as a result of following through on that commitment. Marriage is a commitment. You make a choice to love your husband or wife till death do you part. It's a lifelong commitment. And when things are hard or challenges come, you keep working your way through them. Why? Because you made a commitment. Jesus is calling his people to make a commitment. Commitments are important. When you look at the life of Jesus, he was constantly calling people to make a commitment. He seldom left them with the option of just coasting. No, with Jesus, you seem to either be going forward with him or moving in the other direction. Usually, there's not a whole lot of middle ground with him. So can we review for a second where we've been in this 30 third week of this series of lessons. The very first time Jesus encounters these disciples in John chapter 1, he invited them to come and see, right? Rabbi, where are you staying? John 1, come and see. Come, come and see. Come check it out. Come examine the evidence. And the disciples had a choice. They could choose to press in closer to Jesus or they could choose to bail out. But Jesus called them to make a commitment. Come and see. About 18 months later, Jesus ratcheted up their commitment level again by calling these men to leave their family businesses and to follow him full time in Matthew chapter 4. And again, they had a decision to make, right? They had to decide, were they going to follow him or were they going to fall back? About six months later, Jesus called them to another level of commitment. After praying all night, he called 12 men to be with him for the purpose of leadership training, these men were being called to a higher level of commitment and a higher level of accountability. We read about that in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And finally, after months of intensive training, going on several different fishing trips with Jesus, Jesus gave them the greatest commitment challenge yet. And we just read it here in Luke chapter 9. He says, I want you to deny your selfish ways and take up your cross every single day and follow me. That's what Jesus does. As you look back over Jesus' ministry, he is constantly calling people to make greater and higher level of commitments. And so now we come to us, Beltline Church of Christ. Jesus is calling you to a greater and a higher level of commitment. What are you going to do with it? You're going to take the challenge? You're going to step up? You're going to go all in? You're going to say, I've been here, but I'm ready to go here. I'm ready to take the next step with Jesus. Wherever that might lead me, whatever that might look like. I'm, I, I've been where I'm at now for a while. It's time for me to rise up and to seek more 
right? To seek after a greater level of commitment and accountability because that's what Jesus is calling us to. He doesn't want us to float. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us at the next step. He wants us to take the next leap, whatever that is. For you, and maybe you've been in the church for 80 years and you think, woo, now it's time for me to kind of cruise. No, he's asking you to take the next step, a higher level of accountability and commitment than you've ever taken before. Maybe you've not even taken a step with Jesus yet. Maybe you've never given your life to, to, to follow him. Take the next step. Get in there. Commit to him. Raise that level of commitment and accountability. I don't know where you are between those two extremes. But wherever you are, he's saying, do you know who I am? Who do men say that I am? And if you know and you believe that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, then there should be nothing that stops you from taking the next step with Jesus. So will you do that today? Examine your life, right? Look at it. Have I been at this place for quite some time? Maybe it's time. I, and, and maybe you don't even know what that looks like yet. Pray. Listen for the voice of God and do what he says. Christianity is not difficult. We make it hard. It's not. Listen for his voice. Do what he says. He's calling you to a higher level of commitment. And I pray today that you'll make it. Whether you've never given your life to Jesus or you've been a Christian for 717 years, you're Methuselah's oldest cousin, I don't care. I'm just telling you right now, you need to take the next step and move to the next level of commitment with Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.